Tell Obama, tell Joe Biden, it's time for Insert Credit Gaiden. This is Insert Credit Gaiden, a side story to the ongoing Insert Credit Show narrative. This week, we have Brandon Sheffield interviewing legendary game designer and musician Messiah Matsura, half of the pioneering musical duo Size. He led the creation of Parappa the Rapper and Vib Ribbon. Here's Brandon with more. I've known Messiah Matsura for at least 15 years now. Before that, obviously, I knew his games. I played Parappa the Rapper as a teen like everybody else my age. But I was also an early importer of Vib Ribbon, Rhyme Writer, Kirorikan on the Wonderswan, and Mojib Ribbon, without even really truly realizing they were all led by the same creative team. That sort of cemented for me when I first visited his small office in Shibuya, and I saw a huge statue for Rhyme Rider Kirorikan in the entryway, taking up maybe 5% of the whole space there, despite being a game basically nobody knows about. This office visit was also when I realized a friend of mine from France, who I didn't even realize was in Japan, was one of the four people working there. That was just one of those absolutely bizarre circumstances that boggles the mind. When I did that first interview, I knew very little about his career as a musician. I later came to learn that some of my Japanese game developer friends were quite intimidated to meet him because of how big of a musician he was previously. He mentions in the following interview that his band Size filled the NHK Hall in Tokyo, but he didn't know how large that was. The capacity is actually 3,800 people. Pretty big. Size also contributed songs to the anime City Hunter and Toei. This is why the PC Engine game Metamore Jupiter put his face on the Obi, the spine card. He was big enough to actually advertise on a game to put his face on there. Since then, I've come to really like his band size as well as his earlier band Playtex, and I highly recommend you check out both in the show notes. Over the intervening years, we've become friends and have gone record shopping together, visited the Tower of the Sun and Osaka Castle. We've met at cafes around Tokyo whenever I'm in town, and regular listeners will recall that I went to one of his DJ sets last year where he played rare tracks from his own repertoire on vinyl, as well as a 30th anniversary party for size. Because of this familiarity, I decided I'd go into this interview with absolutely zero preparation as an experiment. Usually when I interview people, I write a list of questions and kind of meander around them, but this time I wanted to see what would happen organically. We met at the top floor of a mall in Meguro, in a lounge that was filled with other jubilant patrons who you'll hear in the background. Since I've spoken with him so frequently in the past about his work in games, I decided to focus mostly on his music career this time. I think the result is one of the most comprehensive looks at his career in English. And through this interview, I got to learn more about him. I got to learn about the music scene in Japan during wartime in his father's era, through to the experiments of the cash flush bubble era of music. And since we couldn't resist talking about games a little bit, we also discussed his unreleased prototypes for the 3DO and CDI. I'm not sure those have been discussed anywhere else. Maybe they have, but certainly the first I'd heard of it. So I hope you'll find this free forum conversation as rewarding as I did. Please enjoy. So I'm here with Masaya Matsura of Nana Onsha and formerly of the band Size uh, and others. And I wanted to start by asking... How did you get into music in the first place? What was your entry point? Because you've been doing it even well before size. And oh. yeah, what, how did you start? I don't remember exactly, but uh, I really love to <clears throat> listen to the music from my very early childhood age. Mm-hmm. Maybe because um, my dad 
was uh, a guitar player in his uh, college age uh. for the uh, American Army. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so he was a guitarist. He played for the American Army or he was in the Army? No, no, no. He, he played, played for, for them. Right. So like at, at clubs that American yes. Army would come to? Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Not so many people know uh, the bay side of the Shinagawa Station. Uh-huh. Um, my dad told me was um, there was uh, three uh, clubs. Three clubs? Mm. Um, according to the class of the army. Oh, so like so, lieutenant, sergeant. Right. Yeah. And uh, which class did he play? Oh, all, all of them. All of them. Mm. Okay. But uh, um, it was really rare to have uh, sugar for the coffee at the time. Oh. So uh, he was uh, the band member was including my dad was allowed to drink the coffee in the club. Uh -huh. So he had the. So many sugar in the coffee, and <laughs> <laughs> almost looks like a gel yeah. situation. Wow! So it was a funny story. Interesting. Did he get bad teeth later from the sugar? No, I don't think no? so. Oh. Mm. Good job for him. Mm. So then, how did you start making music professionally yourself? Um, was Playtex your first? No, no, no. no. before then. Okay. So uh, uh, I had. To join the uh, my elder person who already had the analog synthesizer recording studio okay. in Osaka. Yeah, and I was just on the part-time job there. And the, I remember the, my first job was adding the empty paper for the cassette tape. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, we call it the J-card, yeah. So, and gradually I joined to play the instrument or writing songs or recording things. So was it for a, like a recording studio? But, uh, but they also manufactured a, tapes? Uh, yeah, but kind of the private type of studio. Okay. Mm, not so commercial. Mm -hmm. mm. So uh, gradually I got the job to <clears throat> provide my music to the TV shows or radio shows or TV uh, commercials. So getting gradually professional. So you started from the commercial side mm. um, and then kind of gained your music experience through that? Right. It kind of makes sense to me because you can write music that's so uh, catchy, like a, uh, a really strong hook is, mm. is very common in, in your music, in my opinion. And so to me, like if you're writing radio jingles or something, this right. has to have a hook right away. Right. Yeah, writing jingle for the radio was uh, very learnable for me. Because yeah. um, at the time, uh, we only had the very Japanese style radio mm -hmm. locally. But uh, the many radio companies uh, started to catch up more Western style. Yeah. So the Western style radio is very keen to uh, catch the uh, timing yeah. and the talking mm -hmm. and uh, various kind of things. Yeah. So especially the jingle was uh, key 
to appeal the audience to recognize the station's colors right. and names. Right. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I really learned the, to write the jingle for the radio. So this was in Osaka, in, in around what time? Um, I joined the evening radio show, the one American uh, DJ mm-hmm. uh, hosted that oh. program. She, she already passed away, oh, wow. but uh, her name was uh, Katarina Stevenson okay. uh, from WGCL uh, in Ohio. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I uh, helped her radio program for uh, three or four years. And from the, start, from the beginning, um, I just wrote the jingles or something like that. Mm-hmm. But one day she asked me to sit down opposite side of her uh-huh. in the studio console. And I sit down and stayed. Uh-huh. But uh, rapidly, she moved her microphone to me. Oh. <laughs> and and uh, she asked various kinds of things in English. And I couldn't answer because I learned the living English at the time. Yeah. So she really enjoyed that this happening. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was kind of bullying you. <laughs> right, right, right. It, it was quite a shaming thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so what year did you start writing these jingles? Nineteen eighty one. Okay. Okay. Mm. How did you move from there to writing full music? And and what drew you to kind of the synthesizer as well? I know you, you play several instruments, but mm. the synthesizer was kind of your first point, right? right? right, right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I still really love the analog synthesizers. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, which ones did you play, by the way? Usually. Uh, Moog things. Moog, yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah, still I have the Moog 3C. Mm-hmm. It's a big cabinet of wow. the Mozilla. Wow. Where do you keep that? In my studio. In your studio, yeah. of course. Uh, so sorry, continue yeah. with the uh, when you started. Right. And uh, the hub radio program was uh, playing the updated uh, Western music, of course, including various kinds of 80s yeah. or 70s. <clears throat> So I learned, um, I was influenced from the new wave. Yeah. Or new style of the pop music. Right. Very much. Yeah. So I tried, I wanted to try uh, my way by my music, mm-hmm. uh, representing something from my music ideas. Yeah. So, um, Simultaneously, the equipment goes uh, computerized, yeah. means digitalized. Mm-hmm. So we had a chance to uh, get the very cutting edge uh, instrument called Fairlight. Mm. Fairlight was uh, Australian uh, sampling synthesizer. Right. And I got a chance to <coughs> change my music style more something new yeah not like the past right yeah you uh, have made a lot of good tones with synthesizers over the years (laughs) Um, then you started bands like 
Playtex, which was your band before Size, mm -hmm. and then Size, and then Size became very big at kind one of. point. And what was that experience like of becoming larger and uh, playing in stadiums instead of uh, small clubs and things like that? I think uh, the very big point is the music industry and the record company really wanted to have a new uh, property. I see. Mm. That was a very big point. So they knew the audience, sometimes very conservative, mm -hmm. to appeal widely uh, or sell more widely always requires how uh, they can support the conservative audience. I see. Mm. But in the early 80s, the record company forget about that. Right. <laughs> they really try to uh, get the new audience and the new something. Yeah. Mm. So uh, we were lucky to adapt this kind of trend by having uh, something weird. Yeah. Were you spotted by industry executives or did you come to find them? How did that work? Um, yes. Some uh, friend from the broadcasting company mm. already I wrote the uh, programs, title songs or something like that mm -hmm. uh, helped to join me to the record company. I see. Mm. So this guy uh, sent my demo tape to the record company ah. and he uh, helped me to send uh, several record company, including uh, other from the Sony. But uh, unfortunately or fortunately, the record company was uh, decided to Sony. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so what was it like playing before really large crowds? Was it strange or was it like they don't even exist out there in the sea of people or what was that experience like? Um, what was the largest audience that you played? Uh, NHK Hall. How many people does that hold? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. More than a thousand? Of course. Yeah. More than 10,000? No, no, no. Okay. Mm. Somewhere in between. Somewhere in between. Okay. Uh, but yeah, what was it like? Uh, it's very difficult to mention. Yeah. Mm. But... It's hard for me to imagine the you, the person I'm talking to right now doing that in front of thousands of people. Um, even though I've seen video of it happening. <laughs> <laughs> mm. But... Um, I can't say I enjoyed, but it was something, um, how can I say? It's certainly a unique experience right. that not many people can have. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I, something that I've found interesting is sometimes I will tell another Japanese game developer friend that, oh, I'm going to go meet Matsura-san later. And they'll mention that they were really nervous the first time they met you because <laughs> they knew you from uh, size and uh, from doing music and from filling an arena with fans uh, and then they're meeting you and feeling very shy about uh, it. Uh, I don't know if you've 
Ah, I remember that one thing. Yeah. I was uh, frustrated to do our best performance to the wider audience in the venue. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it is kind of a non-saving things. I mean, any kind of effort doesn't match my ideal sound. Right. But um, it is not good to make the audience feel that, like that. Of course. Mm. So this is kind of a unbalancing things. In my brain, the sound is bad, or the phrase is not bad. Yeah. But maybe the audience will be uh, fine right. for something. This, this is a, a classic problem that I feel like any artist has. Even for me with video games, mm. I want, there's a big part of me that wants to like apologize <laughs> for this part not being good or this thing not being interesting or I didn't do this the way I wanted it to. But the audience, they don't know that. They don't care. They're just having a good time. They're ex appreciating the work. And I'm sure that's how it was for your audience members. They're excited to get right. to hear this music live. They're shaking those glowing things. What do they call those? Those glow stick things. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Well, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah. Those. Yeah. Anyway. So it, it's like uh, maybe the uh, right words for this situation would be a pre-established harm. Pre-established harm. Yeah. From audience. Yeah. But I doubt uh, how we react to uh, match the expectation or not was a very difficult thing Yeah. Yeah, that seems difficult. And you also wound up doing music for anime, like mm. City Hunter. Mm. How, was, did your record company decide that? And then did they say, please make a new song for this, or we will use an existing song for this? How, how did that come about? Uh, the first one. Mm -hmm. mm. We, we have to write the new song. Okay. But um, I never see the anime. Right. At all. Oh. Up, up until now. <laughs> okay. Of City Hunter? Right. Yeah. It's not really your style. Uh, I would I, say. I, it's kind of an um, inspiration for me. Uh, I should not touch okay. the, this anime. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did, so it was the record company that said, please make this. Right. Did that create another kind of gap between you and the audience where later fans will say, uh, oh, I love this anime and uh, you have never seen it? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But still, yeah, it's kind of a, maybe I have to say this, kind, this situation will be happy for me. For example, just the two weeks ago, mm -hmm. the music publisher asked me to, someone wants to cover the uh, anime song. Mm -hmm. So it's up to the tune they pick, but um, for some song, um, I asked the publisher to let me check the uh, exact uh, tracks I record it. Yeah. Mm. So, so after they make it, you, you get to have feedback. Right. Right. 
so uh, they sent me the uh, ongoing uh, rough mix of mm -hmm. song. So I found the various kind of mistake of the songs mm -hmm. doesn't uh, copy it exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's okay. The, um, for example, the guitarist uh, plays a new rig. Yeah. For the song, it's, oh, it's okay. Or yeah. the vocalist do the some new fake, no problem. Mm -hmm. But the, some important key point will be missed. Mm -hmm. So it will be uh, maybe disappointing. Yeah. The mu music skill person. Mm. Mm. So uh, I asked the uh, music uh, composers and uh, arrangers and player to uh, re recover. Mm -hmm. These kind of mistakes. Yeah. So and they did. Actually. Oh. <laughs> so it's great for me. That's neat. Mm. Yeah, and um, it also got reused in the in the movie. Uh, uh, I don't know. It did. Because um, I, I don't. I never see. Because you never saw it. <laughs> but I saw it in okay. in the theater in Japan. Oh, okay. And Good. I uh, with my friend who also who also likes your music more than the anime. Oh. And so we watched we watched the movie live, and uh, and then your song came Good on. Here. And we were like, oh, great. <laughs> Confirmed. Yes. <laughs> That's right. And then you moved into video games mm -hmm. and started working in video games with composition first. So you did the PC Engine game Metamore Jupiter, which oh. I don't think you ever played either. No. No. <laughs> I and I think the very first time I met you, I told you how maybe it was the second time, something like that, but it was in your old office. I didn't know about this game, Metamore Jupiter, but I saw your face on the Obi, on the spine oh, card. Because they put your face on there and they said, It's that Masaya Mutsura from Sides. Uh. He did some music for this game. And your face was there. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Look at that. <laughs> a f a f a, you ra very rarely see a human face on uh, a video game Obi. So yeah, I, I think so. That was, <laughs> that was pretty exciting. Um, um, so how did, that, how did you transition into that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> don't remember. But, um, yeah, I have to correct my uh, ideas. Okay. I played once in an office at the time mm. for uh, three minutes or sometimes. For that, uh, for that first game? Yeah, yeah. the Metal of Jupiter. Yeah, so mm. you did like a very small, you did like one track or something. Right. I did a music track. You did, I believe. No, no. I, it, it said that you did on the Obi. <laughs> I saw. I think it's like right, yeah. at least one track is right, from you. Right. Yeah, right. or at least some musical phrase or something. It's no, there. no, it's a title song. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 It, but it was uh, instrument, instrumental. Yes, instrumental. So you don't remember how it happened exactly? No. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> um, and then. You went along to start your own video game company, Nanonsha, mm -hmm. and what made you want to do that? Uh, moving away from like 
playing in a band and being strictly in the music industry to oh. moving into interactive media? Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah. It is a kind of a, a complicated history, but uh, from the beginning of my music career, uh, I had uh, some strange feeling to play with the band. Yeah. Because uh, I already had a fair right. Yeah. And all drums and bass and some other instruments all done by myself yeah. through the computer. Yeah, you are your own band. Right. So I started to feel more sympathy with a computer-generated uh, creator mm. more than the music instrument player. Interesting. Mm. So I tried to combine the music computer expression and other computer expression together. Right. Mm. The more important part was uh, graphics. Mm -hmm. So I tried to make the um, computer graphics chains and my music uh, with the computer together. And the one big achievement at the time was that we sent the, our first music video using the Osaka University's uh, computer graphics uh, development machine. Mm -hmm. Made the Seagraph uh, video show. Like a CG video? Yeah. Mm. It, it was uh, 1984. Mm. So Quite early. Yes. Yeah. And, and we went to the Moscone Center to see our video is shown on the film video show in Seagraph. Wow. Of course, at that time, the, I remember the most uh, excited um, production was, for example, was a Robert Abel production uh, made the Los Angeles Olympic Stadium uh, mock-up mm. uh, videos. Or he made another title called Sexy Robot. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of a uh, silver metallic right. body. Yeah, yeah, that one's quite famous. And uh, I was so shocked with I don't remember exactly, but uh, some uh, video used the Phil Collins song. Right. Mm. It was maybe a susubio mm -hmm. with a um, uh, West Coast CD production made uh, some digest video with Phil Collins tracks. Mm -hmm. uh, I was busy. <laughs> 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 so, but these kind of things was a uh, start. Yeah. Mm. So after then, uh, we tried to more uh, um, programming things, not just the streaming things. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's going, I mean, the rendering video or recording audio uh, is not the right result, but the, um, making the program to express more dynamically and uh, interactive things. Yeah. Mm. So, at that time, maybe at the end of the 80s or early 90s, 
the Apple announced uh, to support the CD-ROM driver. So maybe some garage um, developer made the CD-ROM title there. Mm -hmm. um, I remember the one title, for example, was the Spaceship Warlock. Right. Mm. So this kind of it was made based on the Macromedia Director software, mm -hmm. mm. adding the um, hypercard-like interactivity. Mm -hmm. mm. So, yeah, it hit me. Mm. Yeah, to so, do the similar kind of things. So from from that long ago, you were thinking about yes, it. yeah, but uh, it was not the long to live. Mm. So the, suddenly the new things come out. Yeah. And one big change was this, of course, the 3DO. The 3DO was uh, something in between the um, Macintosh with CD-ROM to the PlayStation. Yeah. So. Yeah, I was, I'm always surprised how much traction the 3DO got in Japan. It, it almost feels that Japan supported 3DO more than the West. In right. some ways, yeah. But uh, I saw just one hardware mm. <laughs> in Japan. Yeah. Mm. So the 3DO, uh, did someone show it to you in advance, or did you see it when it was out, or? Um, yeah, maybe already launched. Okay. Mm. So what did what effect did it have on what you were doing? So yeah, we decided to uh, move from the just the Macintosh craft home to more wider something. Uh, including the one important platform was CDI. Yeah. CDI was uh, brought by the Philips. Right. And uh, yeah, something more sophisticated environment. But uh, Sony announced to uh, release the CDI hardware, but they cancelled. So the, these kind of things always happen. Yeah, yeah. The it, it, there was a lot of turnover and turmoil <laughs> at that time. <laughs> right. Uh, so you didn't make a game for the 3DO or the CDI. No. But uh, and then you did, of course, make one for PlayStation. I don't know if you were involved, but there was a there was a CD-ROM game for with size, like remake, remakes a music video, CD-ROM. Do you know about that one? Mm -hmm. the, it was a PC CD-ROM interactive thing uh. where you could like take a size video mm -hmm. and change the order of things, mix it around. Right, so yeah. for example, uh, maybe Peter Gabriel released yeah. a, a CD-ROM or Prince yes. too. Yeah, uh, and so you had one like that. Yes. Yeah. So. Were you involved? Yes, of oh, course. Great. Mm. The same team will make the first PlayStation game from us. I see. Mm. But we couldn't. Okay. For example, we made the prototype on the CDI platform. It, mm. It's a kind of a interactive music. Uh, how can I say? Um, remixer. Okay. Mm, the software. Actually, it, it was a kind of just uh, CD-ROM XA format. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a same CDDA format, but the, we chop the one single track into uh, uh, maybe eight tracks mm-hmm. um, vertically. And the system pick up one track and other seven tracks uh, uh, push to the trash. Uh-huh. So by using this mechanism, uh, we can play the interactive audio. I see. Mm. So it wasn't it wasn't like strings, uh, individual strings. It was more like no, no. sections of yeah, the section. Yeah, section. Okay. So uh, this prototype really helped us to move to the PlayStation mm. game. Yeah, I guess I can see how if you're working on chopping things up and timing, that that would lend itself very well to a rhythm game. Right after that. Right. So the, the PlayStation supported the, this CD-ROM XA format technology. So it was a very, very helpful for us mm. to move to the PlayStation platform. And that CDI prototype, did it have graphics or anything, uh, or was it only audio? Uh, just a simple jacket of graphics mm. is shown on the screen and moving slowly on the screen and sometimes color will be changed according to the track mm. selected. A very simple type of profile. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting to hear about though because uh, you basically never hear about CDI prototypes <laughs> <laughs> anymore. So, mm. very curious. Um, did, was Philips involved in you doing all of that, or uh, did you do it on your own, or...? Uh, no Philips support. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, then you obviously do Parappa, and then you do um, VibRibbon, where you can insert a CD and have your own music play, and then Ribbon reads it and you have to play a rhythm game with your own music. Um, there had been some things kind of like that on consoles like the PC Engine trying to read your own music. Uh-huh. Uh, but what, what was the inspiration for, for that one as well? Uh, the first Harappa yeah. was the hip-hop game. Yes. But I was surprised to hear the many Western uh, industry people ask me, asked me, why hip hop? Ah, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you understand the feel of that? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a. They had some worry about the viability of hip hop or something like that. Ah, okay. Or maybe they worried that you target a specific audience. But to me, it seems like a silly question, and maybe they're just racist. <laughs> because especially uh-huh. for the time, hip-hop was very popular, and everyone wanted to get involved uh-huh. in that. So I think it may have been an ignorant question. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But anyway. So, but, yeah, but it was a, a big influence mm. to me to uh, decide to how to move to the next 
So uh, we made the Unjem Ramin. Right. Uh, using the... Uh, the rock girls, yeah. rock band. So this kind of change has been uh, made by kind of a big influence from the reputation. Interesting. The but still it's not enough. Yeah. So I really wanted to uh, uh, give the audience the freedom to uh, stick around what kind of music they like. Yeah. To use the music game. Mm-hmm. So the beautiful idea was uh, perfect. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and the very simple squiggly graphics really work very nicely for it. Uh, it's up to the audience. Well, uh, still some, yeah. some, still some, some people say uh, graphics doesn't match the heavy rocks, for example. Sure, but <laughs> that's okay. I mean, or it, classic. Ultimately, it looks like because you used the simple graphics at that time, if you look at a screenshot today, mm-hmm. it doesn't look old. Oh. It looks still unique. Oh. It still has its own feeling and, and vibe because it didn't try to look like modern PlayStation graphics, which mm-hmm. now look old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, I, I think it was, a good, it was a good choice. Though, of course, the very first thing I did when I got Vibribbon was try to put in the fastest possible song mm-hmm. and it kind of breaks the game and doesn't really work <laughs> very well. It works much better with uh, like a mid-tempo pop song. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But um, it's still a great project and really interesting idea. Uh, uh, one uh, tiny tips uh, for everyone mm. is the Vibribbon is impossible to capture the screenshot. Right. Um, that's because the every, every node of the lines are moving all the time. Mm. So uh, maybe the running course is just a line. Maybe we'll be okay. But the character is looking ugly. You capture the <laughs> still image from the game. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think with emulators, you can get an okay screenshot now. Uh-huh. Yeah. So <laughs> it's now, now with modern technology, we can right. capture a good screenshot. Um, it's interesting to me that as you started working more with video games, you started making less music because I would expect you to write all the music for all of these games, but you didn't write all of it. Mm. Um, When did you kind of decide to stop writing as much of the music Uh, and directing more of it instead? Do you not want to do both? Maybe it's similar with the situation in a big venue concert. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I expected more something than my ability. Right. Mm. So I started to stick around not all music things, but uh, some specific parts. Mm. Right. So I can't uh, send uh, this composition to the others. Mm-hmm. For example, um, there is a, a we call Q 
kiosk uh, from Bibiribon. Mm -hmm. It's a tutorial uh, part. Right. Mm. That was a, a kind of a very important part for me uh, to let the game player to understand the game, of course, but not only that, the, what kind of game sense did, uh, the Bibiribon has. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time to compose sounds like a simple song, but not just a simple. Mm. Yeah, because you have to work on timing it with the tutorial because the, the song is the tutorial. It's mm. telling you how mm. to play. Mm. It's showing you what happens. Mm. Uh, so it has a, a lot of specific timing and information that you need to get across in right. the music and the lyrics. Right. And uh, this part uh, originally made by the rap mm. without any uh, musical phrases. Interesting. And, but I started to write the musical notes and calls and the background, um, not like rap. <clears throat> so yeah, it was quite... Uh, hard type of things for me, but... Yeah, it, well, it, it paid off because it, it really is... It's a great tutorial because it shows... It shows you what the game is and why it should be enjoyable. Mm -hmm. But you could also play that as a trailer to have someone understand mm. what's interesting about the game, I think. Was it your voice? No, no. No, it's a computer-generated voice? Okay, I was just wondering if it was... Your voice changed with a computer or something? Just fully computer-generated voice. So I guess lastly, we started this by you saying that you wanted to express your style of sound and music. How, it's a difficult question, but how would you describe your style? What is your sound? What is the feeling that you want to bring out? Yeah, it has been passed more than 40 years from the beginning of my music career. Right, so I'm sure it has changed <laughs> over time. <laughs> but uh, in a um, deep layer, uh, I, maybe I have the uh, strong pillar mm -hmm. of my style. And what would those pillars be? Um, very important and dreaming image and sounds uh, existing right behind me. Mm. Mm. Not like fun. Right. So you feel that there's some sort of dreamlike thing that you have that you can pull from to make music? Yes. Something like that? Yeah. Maybe. It's like when you described it, I imagined like some kind of a ghost behind, <laughs> behind you, yeah, ghost yeah, of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think so. And you're trying to, to grab it, but it's right behind you. Right. Um, yeah, it's a good suggestion. So, yeah, many times I have a chance to feel um, my good ideas uh, came from others, mm -hmm. of course. Yeah. And others means. Um, it's not me. Sure. But suddenly it makes me feel 
uh, kind of mine. Yeah, you mm. you you make it your own. Right. Through your own process. Right. So, the um, finally, I feel like ah uh, maybe I was allowed from the past expression to re-express this kind of feel from me mm-hmm. to the others. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> Building on what you've done to try to express, re-express something that comes across as a new kind of feeling. Right. Do you ever go back and hear something that you did before mm. and think, that's actually good? Uh, is is what what would be an example of that? Because every once in a while, I'll read uh, something that I wrote, and I think that's funny. That's uh, very funny. I, I'm glad I wrote. I don't remember writing it, but that's uh, funny. That's the deduction. Mm. I I never do that. Uh, I see. Mm. Never so, go back. Um, how can I say? It? It's like a, a rain falling from the sky, mm. and. In the, on the mountain, and finally, the low level of the Mount Fuji, the water is coming out yeah. through the hundred years or sometimes. Uh-huh. This kind of similarity, I feel, that requires the time and re, re, redundant uh, remembering the same things again. Mm. So you would rather remember it without actually listening to it again? Uh, it's up to the situation. Okay. Mm. I don't want to recover the memory. Uh, I, I don't want to listen to certain music to recover my memory. But uh, surprisingly, um, I, I forget mm. the some music. Yeah. But uh, listening to the original one, I realized, oh, this was that. Yeah. But it's already different from my memory. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. Mm. Yeah, and you've recently, well, I don't know if you're still doing them, but for a while you were doing these uh, DJ sessions for very small groups of people Mm. showing your older work. Mm. And when you go through that process, is is it some kind of a learning experience for you because obviously it's a learning experience for us in the audience I saw one last year and I got to hear a version of a song that I like Mm -hmm. that I'd never heard before Mm -hmm. Um, which was great Mm -hmm. like a playtex version of a song that then became a size Mm -hmm. song Mm -hmm. one of my favorite size songs oh good the uh, the woman s Uh Mm -hmm. um I'd never heard the Playtex version because you never put it online mm. uh, for, I guess, like, owners, Sony owns it or something. Right. Uh, mm. and, but I got to hear it in a private room. Mm-hmm. This is very, for me, this is like adding a lot of layers together. Oh, right. So uh, how, how is it for you going back to your, your music, <laughs> displaying it to people? Probably most of the people in that audience, they must know your work very well mm. because they're, they're friends or fans mm. or, or things like that, or both. Um, yeah, the, yeah, thank you for you joining us uh, the oh, last time. The thanks for having me there, it was great. Event. Yeah. So um, I have been doing this vinyl event uh, almost 20 times. Wow. Mm. 
and I will keep going. But uh, the importance of this event is exactly like the music is not something you can deduct into uh, some chat uh, knowledge or image. Yeah. So every time you listen to the music in a certain way, you know, or the different situation, the, you will realize that each music uh, referring expression will be different. Yeah. Yeah, I had, I once had this thought because I listen to records and I like analog media mm -hmm. and technically each record, since it's pressed and it's analog, mm. is very, very slightly different from oh, right. every other record. Mm. And I bought, I was in Taiwan and I was buying some records there. Mm. And I bought one record that was sealed oh. from 1965 or something like this. <laughs> and I brought it home, and as I opened it up and put it on the tray, I realized, technically, I'm the only person to ever hear this. Ah, right. Because technically, it's slightly different from every other record, and it was sealed. No one ever listened to it. So I'm hearing this exact piece of music in this exact situation for the first time of anyone and that was kind of like a somewhat moving thing for me right. for some reason to just have that realization kind of a time machine yeah mm. and so that's why going to your dj event and hearing your personal records mm. shared with your personal stories mm. feels like it's 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 a it's a very analog thing in mm. itself it's it's a it's a very interesting kind of event. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I want to introduce the, the podcast listener mm. the one simple, um, very technically important of the vinyl event mm. for me is the, every time I talk uh, this episode of the beginning of the event, but um, the analog recording doesn't filter the audio. Right. Mm. Digital recording must have filter. Yeah. It, with any kind of sampling rate. Mm -hmm. So we already knew um, the playing back the out of the year capacity is uh, very important to uh, represent the audio quality. Yeah. For example, like uh, 60 kilohertz or 100 kilohertz we can't hear from the ear, but we can feel from the skin. Right. The already, the, for example, do you know the uh, recording equipment uh, manufacturer called SSL from London, England? Uh, sounds so, familiar. Solid state logic. Oh, right, yes, yes. <clears throat> the, we use the solid state logic uh, console for the event, for example. Mm -hmm. They wrote a very uh, interesting episode from their uh, manual on the top page. They said, uh, of course, we can't hear the very high frequency from the air. But um, if we lose this kind of area of the sound, um, the sound quality gets worse. So they didn't um, show any uh, scientific evidence, <laughs> yeah. but, but um, that's true. 
from yeah. my experience. Yeah, I guess the experience is different if you can feel it on your skin. And obviously, bass is something everyone is very familiar with feeling in their vibrate their body mm, so we can right. uh, we can understand the low end very easily right. the high end is a little harder to understand yeah, yeah. this is a kind of a long time uh, question mm -hmm. for me that's because uh, my ear ability is not equal from left and right uh, so uh, if uh, we have the result from the um, test over the year I should have to listen uh, the every audio uh, more left side. Yeah, slightly louder in one <laughs> yeah. side than the other. In but order to... actually, that doesn't happen. Right. So this means that I don't listen to the audio only by the ear. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Well, I think that's a good place for us to stop. I intended to do a short interview and it became very long. <laughs> which, which often Maybe happens. Maybe podcast listener will be angry. No. You said the short interview. <laughs> Maybe what? they will. A long interview. Yes, well, everyone can send me their disappointment. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much and I uh, appreciate your time and uh, we'll talk again soon. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm looking forward to listening to your podcast too. Thank you. Now here's a little extra bonus for you. I've gotten permission from Matsuda to share a live performance of his. This was recorded at Game City in Nottingham in 2009, but I actually saw him perform this live one year earlier at the Dice Summit in Las Vegas. The song is Funny Love, originally from Parappa the Rapper. It's hard to describe, but seeing this performance actually brought tears to my eyes at the time. You all know I'm not the kind of person who's going to cry when the Sephiroth theme gets performed by an orchestra or something like that. Not that there's anything wrong with doing that. But I feel like that sort of emotion comes from reminiscing or nostalgia and putting yourself into a place of the past. I have to admit, I didn't even know this song was from anything at the time, let alone Parappa. The emotion I felt watching this wasn't about me so much as it was about him or us in ways that are hard to define. I didn't actually know him that well yet. We had met, only met a couple of times. But he had just given a keynote speech at the Dice Summit about how video games can do more than just depict violence. He doesn't have any particular problem with violence in games, he later told me. He just wanted to talk about how much more there is that we could explore in them. After this speech, he got back up on stage, surrounded by synthesizers and five or six Ibo dogs. Nobody in the audience knew that he was going to perform a song until kind of the curtains un unveiled this. The music, as it started, it felt so positive and uplifting, especially after that message. And somewhat counterintuitively, seeing him perform with a vocoder modulating his voice and tiny robot dogs dancing along with him felt incredibly human. I think part of that was wrapped up in the subconscious feeling that I wasn't fully aware of that comes from someone who's performed to arenas full of people putting on a show with high-quality sound systems for around 200 of us just a few feet away. I didn't still know that he had done all of this in the past, but I could feel that through the performance somehow. And I just remember thinking, wow, he's still got it. I felt a connection from that performance, which is what all good performances should do, and it left me feeling inspired. I think this is when things kind of changed from me thinking of him as an interview subject into a person that I'd like to get to know. 
I hope you can hear a little of what I'm talking about from this performance. After all that's gone on in the world in the last few years, revisiting this performance after so long, the positive message and hearing him say we can do it actually really still gets to me. Thanks for listening. Have a cool one. Please welcome Masai Matsura.
Insert Credit Guy Dan is a production of Insert Credit, edited by me, Esper Quinn, with original music by Kurt Feldman. Thanks for listening. Woo!